be totally errant, uh, lacking in a hundred different levels, not to express to him uh, our deep uh, joy at having him with us. Uh, uh, you can see him moved. And our Karsa Tov to, for everything he does for us. By the way, we're only having a barbecue today because of because <laughs> of him. Not that I was, we were against barbecue, we just, we missed that, and Rabbi Shai said, well, we're not having a barbecue. And but that's just a, that's a small thing. And, but really I want to thank him for this tremendous uh, inspiration that he's given me personally and, and how he's carried through uh, his illness uh, to all of us. You guys only see as in Yeshiva, which hopefully is already so inspiring, but behind the scenes seeing Rabbi Kalinsky dealing with everything, the recruiting, the fundraising, the, the, the chinuch all the time, even as he's, uh, you know, been dealing with things, it's been amazing to me, to Rebbeim, to the people in the office. And Bez Hashem will be together at 120 uh, in good health. And he should keep leading us and helping us run great programs like today's program and making a scene he's going to do. It's so fitting that he comes back and makes a him. And uh, we're so happy to have you back. Baruch Rofech And Misha Maradolom Dai, Yomar Talat Sarasecha, and Yonar Avonishim. I want to turn this into a real Sudas Mitzvah. So there's no malice about whether it's a Sudas Mitzvah or not. I'm going to make a, a quick Siyum on Masechah's Nazir. So, um, the last Mishnah talks about whether um, Shmuel was a Nazir or not. Machlokas in the Loshan of the Psukim. And um, because the uh, one of the opinions um, in the Mishnah um, is... Um, is uh, is Rabbi Nahorai who doesn't appear too much in the Gemara so the Gemara brings a machlokas with Rabbi Nahorai taking a position you want to grab the kos and be the one who's mizame and be, make the bracha so it sounds, the alternative was, you, somebody else will make the bracha, and you're going to say, Amen. So, says the Gemara Lememra, the implication then is, the Mevarech Adif, saying the bracha yourself, is better than being the one to say, Amen. V'hatanya Reb Yossi Omer, Godol Ha'one Amen Yosem in Habavarech. Saying Amen is, is a higher level than the actual bracha. V'yomer li Rabbi Nehoroi Hashamayim Kahu. And Rabbi Neroy says, absolutely, he's giving a shvuot that that's the way it is. Teda, listen to the example. Sharei Golyarim mitagrim v'milchama. The foot soldiers, the lowly foot soldiers go first to like to open the way. The giborim notzchim, and then the heavyweights come in. You bring in the heavy armor after the, the, the lowly level foot soldiers have softened up the enemy. And whoever comes last must be the, the real strong ones. And therefore, the person who does the Amen is after things have been sort of prepared. The brach is viewed as the preparation. And the Amen is, wow, that's the real, you know, uh, overwhelming point. And again, the Mephoshim have a lot of trouble with that. One of the explanations is that to make a bracha, you can make a bracha very quickly. But Amen, to really say it properly, you've got to concentrate carefully on the bracha and then also validate the bracha with your own Amen and your concentration. There are other ex- explanations too. We won't go into that. Then continues the Gemara. Tanoihi. So it seems like we have a, 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 a machlokas, uh, a kasha, whether, which is better, the bracha or the amen. And the Gemara says it's really a machlokas tanoim de tanya, echad amivorech vechad aone amen bimashma, elashim imarim limivorech 
techila. That there is a Tana who holds that they're both equal, but one should always try to be the Mavarech. Apparently that's at a higher Madrega. And then the, Mish, the Gemara concludes with something that appears four times in Shas. Amar Rabbi Lozer, Amar Rabbi Chanina, Talmidei Chachamim Arbim Sholom Ba'olam, Shenemar, Bechol Banayich, Limudei Hashem, Barab Sholom Banayich, the Talmidei Chachamim, they increase Sholom. This, uh, first of all, what's the Pshat? So we have a lot of different explanations, but one of the most compelling ones for me is the fact that it's, um, it's, it's definitional. Right? It's not telling you something about the, the impact of the Talmud Chacham, but it's defining a Talmud Chacham. To be a Talmud Chacham, you have to be somebody who's Mar B'Shalom. And therefore, if you, in your being, with all of your learning, you're not Mar B'Shalom, you cause Machlokas, then it undermines your qualification as a Talmud Chacham. Talmud Chacham, if you want to be defined as a Talmud Chacham, you have to make sure that your Limud is being Mar B'Shalom. If you want to think of some examples, uh, Rav Shlomo Zalman Oyerbach, a perfect example, Rav Moshe Feinstein, these were people who even though they took very strong positions, they, was, they were perfectly people of Shalom, and there are many, many more examples. Um, just quickly, why this Gemara, Tamid Chacham Shalom, why is it at the end of here? So usually it come, it's brought down in the Mitforshim, because it appears four times. It appears at the end of Brachos, at the end of Yevamos, at the end of Nazir, and at the end of Krisus. And apparently there's a footnote in the Vilna Gons Shas that... Brachos, Yevamos, Nazar Krisus are the letters of Banayach. Again, that's in the Vilna Gon Shas. So most of the time, the, uh, most of the places where this appears, the Mephorshim say that it's preceded by something very negative, and therefore the Balashas didn't want to end the Mesechta with negative, and therefore they brought this to conclude positive. But that doesn't work here, because what we just talked about till now was also very positive. My Bracha, Amen, etc. So uh, there's an Arach Linear, I'll just quickly share, there's an Arch Linair to explain why it appears in these four Mesechtos. And he, he, he builds on something that is even a, more extensive than the Maral. The Maral talks, of, the Arch doesn't mention the Maral, I'm just connecting it. That a person has to have Shleimus in, in three directions, says the Maral. There's Ben Adam Lamakom, Ben Adam Lechavero, and Ben Adam Laatzmo. Okay, so the Arch Linair says that these four Mesechtos, each one deals with a Ben Adam Lechavero, Ben Adam Lamakom, Bein Adam Leishto and Bein Adam Legufo. Brochos creates a Sholom, a harmony Bein Adam Lamakom. Yevomos is Bein Adam Lechavero because a brother is working for the benefit of his other brother. That's representative of Bein Adam Lechavero. Nazir, which is Nazir Sota goes together, it's Bein Adam Leishto. It's to be Mar B'Sholom. It's the implication of Mar B'Sholom Leishto. And Krisus is the Reunite Krisus is to cut off the goof and the neshama, and therefore Krisus is to be mechaber the goof and the neshama back together, which could be understood as beinodam laatzmo that you have to know that your neshama and your goof have to be connected. Hadrunlach <laughs> 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 
Rami Bar Papa, Nachman Bar Papa, Achai Bar Papa, Abba Mori Bar Papa, Rafa Bar Papa, Rokish Bar Papa, Sucha Bar Papa, Ada Bar Papa, Doru Bar Papa. Harv not in our lane is the Vetos Kabafino, the Fifios Amchabes Yisrael. Vinia Kulana Nachabetsetsoin of Tetsoyam Chabes Yisrael, Kulani Deshmeka, Vilom Desor Sechame, Oiva Techakmeni Mitzosecha, Kil Olam Hili. Hili Bisomim, Bukukeka, Lamana Levosh, Lolam Loishka, Pigudeka, Kivom Chi Sonny, Burkhatar, you know the name of Kukeka, Amen, 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 Salavoe. Modio Nakalachal, the Fanecha, you know the name of Shesamta, Halkenum Yoshe, Vesa Medrish. Below Samta, Halkenum Yoshe, Kronos, Shano Mashkimim, the Hey Mashkimim, Mano Mashkim of the Vretore, Mashkim of the Vartalim, Ano Amelam, Hey Amelam, Ano Amelam, Kablin Scar, Hey Amelam, Hey Amelam, Scar, Ano Rotsim, Hey Rotsim, Ano Rotsim, Chayam Abba, Hey Mertzel, Vershakas, and Emma Bata, Elohim, Tori, Dame Vershakas, Anche Dama Mumirma, Loya Hatsu, Miam, Vani, Eftak Bach. Yotam of an Evadino, I shim shells a title of Simon Sechas, Nozir. Cain Tazino, the Hatu Mesetos, was for Macheru and Simon. Lumod Lamid Lishmov Lassus, who came as called the race of the Sechabiava, whose Kuska Tanoim, Vamoroim, the Tamidic Hom and Yamad Leo Lizari, Shalo Samusha Torah Mipi, Umipi Zari, Vizera Zari at a law, who Sakaim be his base Alecha Tanke Osha, but Tanke Osha, who Vishakuha Tishmore. Alecha Havaki, so see his Sisifecha, Kivir Buyamecha, the Yosifal Hashnos Chaim Orthamim Bivna, Mismala, Osher, the Havar, I don't know if I'm a retain, I don't know if I'm a Shalai. Skadavish Gash, Mirabah, Yamadi, he who Osidli Skadato, Lachaya, Masa, Mesaya, Lasaka Yosun, Lachayoma, Lemivne Karta, the Ushleim, Lashaka, the Hefle, the Gave, Lemekar Pulchan, and the Kroham in Ara. Le Asava Puchana Dishmaya, Le Asre Viamba Kucha Brihu, the Mahuse di Kore, the Kayakon of Yamakan of the Hedo Basis of Agalo, the Manka Ravim Ruamain. Okay, that was just to turn it into a real Surah's Mitzvah, not to take away from the main part of the program, um, which is... Um, um, and quickly, why do you want to get some food while the, before we get started with the program? Okay. So we want to start. So quickly, I'm also here right
Okay, we're both side. Um, most of the introduction was already given yesterday at the uh, Yom Hazikaron Shmuz. Um, in the, uh, we're in a very special time of history. Uh, prophecies are being fulfilled before our eyes. Uh, one of the reasons you don't appreciate it enough is A, because you don't know the Nevi'im enough and don't realize how much is written in the Nevi'im that... Uh, 200 years ago, nobody understood what it meant, and today we know exactly what it meant. And on the other hand, you're probably not aware enough of the miraculous nature of what's going on in this country from 1948 till till today. Um, but that's pretty objective. What's subjective is the Torah interpretation of the events that we're seeing and the fulfillment of the prophecies um, and the ambiguity in the prophecies. Prophecies themselves are very ambiguous. The Rambam writes... Um, one of the things the Ramam writes a famous thing when he talks about Mashiach is that nobody really knows what the Mashiach process is going to look like until after it happens. And clear that there are many prophecies that 200 years ago when we read them, the, the Nevi'im, the Midrashim, nobody understood what it meant. And today we look back and we see exactly what it meant. But there's still a lot more that's going to be unfolded. Anyway, so the idea here is to try to get a broad picture of the theological, religious Torah issues that confront us with a return, kibbutz golios, Jewish people, half the Jewish people today in Eretz Yisrael, but the mechanism is a state built by secular people whose agenda originally was clearly written explicitly to uproot Torah. Uh, of course, we knew that couldn't succeed because Torah is eternal, and the Jewish people returning to Eretz Yisrael was a prophetic vision that... Every, that all of the prophets talked about and the Maral when he wrote Netzach Yisroel wrote that as bad as it looks for us in Golis in the 16th century we will be back we will be back there to Israel and of course everything unfolded that way um, but we're going to hear now from three Rebbeim presenting three very different perspectives and uh, Elu Elu, and I think that uh, if we can be sophisticated and, and really deep we will realize that all three of them somehow or other can combine into an accurate picture of what we're going to see. So we'll open with Rabbi Haber, followed by Rabbi Hirschfeld, and Rabbi Kwas will then bring the third opinion. It's a big supposed to address the Yeshiva. Rishos Rosh Yeshiva, my distinguished colleagues, and Talmudim Yekorim. Before I begin my presentation, focusing on why many see a messianic, redemptive dimension to the modern-day state of Israel, I would like to start with three disclaimers. The first is that I usually like to speak extemporaneously without the text, but since I'm bound to ten minutes, so we're going to be reading a lot. 
That's actually the, the zeroth disclaimer. The first, clearly there are different ways to read Torah sources, as Rashiva already indicated. Shivan Panama Torah. In my presentation to save time, I will often state things as if with certainty, realizing fully that much has been stated and written, reading the sources differently. Outside of prophetic declaration, no one can be absolutely certain of the correct interpretation of these sources as they relate to current events. Second <coughs> uh, limitation. Attitudes toward an era and institutions and frameworks need not necessarily be linked with admiration or even approval of the people leading those frameworks. This is especially true for believers in divine providence, Ashkacha Pratis, where in many instances in world and specifically Jewish history, far-reaching, even positive events have been brought about by less than stellar people. By the concept of the Jewish state, we mean the collective sovereign control of the land of Israel by the Jewish people, as manifested by the rule of individual members of that people, regardless of where those people are by the Torah's measure of piety. In a word, I assume the view that the state is a concept which transcends the particular individuals who run it. Time does not permit fully explicating and sourcing this important distinction between Medina, collective sovereignty over a country, and Memshala, particular people running the government. This distinction being made by several Jewish thinkers, including Ratzvi Yehuda Kuxetzal, the son of his uh, illustrious father, Ravam Yitzchak Akoyen Kuxetzal. The third caveat. Each of the subtopics we present here is worthy of at least one, if not several shiurim, if not an entire multi-year course. Quite literally, hundreds of sources are relevant to the subject matter at hand, as is true of any complex Torah topic. In the time allotted, we will humbly attempt to present a brief cross-section of ideas. Paraphrasing the words of the Kohen Gavel on Yom Kippur, much more than what I read before you is written here. Not in these notes, but in... Shas, Midrashim. In light of these limitations, let us begin our study. I would like, Rez Hashem, to present three approaches to viewing the state of Israel as an integral part of the process of redemption. For the first, our starting point will be a passage in the Rambam. He writes famously at the beginning of the 11th chapter of the Laws of Kings. The Messianic King is destined to arise and restore the Davidic Kingdom to its original form and reign. And he will build the Temple and gather the dispersed of Israel. All the laws of the Torah will be restored in his day. Sacrifices will be offered. Shemitot and Yovlot will be kept in accordance with all that is written in the Torah. Later in the 12th chapter, the Ramam adds the following about the Messianic unfolding, also quoted by Rashiva Karlinsky. Concerning all of these matters, a person will not know how they will occur until they actually occur. Since the matters are ambiguous, both in the words of the prophets, and the sages don't have an absolute tradition or absolute traditions concerning these matters, except in accordance with interpretations of the verses. And therefore, there are debates. In light of these two passages in the Mishnah Torah, and especially in light of the many sources in the Talmud and Midrashim, which present the occurrence of at least several of the events the Rambam describes as the mission of Melech HaMashiach, these sources imply that they transpire before his arrival. Many are of the opinion, as a result of these sources, that the events of the last century and a half and greatly expanded and expedited 
by the establishment of the state of Israel, clearly not the Messianic monarchs, are integral parts of the Messianic drama nonetheless. One of these sources appears in Masech Megillah, Yedzayin Rebbeis, a very famous Gemara about Shmonesrei, wherein the Talmud explains that from the blessing of Berech Aleinu, the ninth bracha, through the end of the Shmonesrei, the Amida presents the order of the redemptive process. It starts with the agricultural development of the land, after lying desolate in the long years of exile, as represented by the initial blessing of Berech Aleinu, which focuses on agriculture. And the process culminates with peace, as indicated by the bracha of Simshalom. Only toward the end of the Shmon Esrei, the 15th bracha, way past 9, that of a Semach Tavra is the coming of Mashiach mentioned. This after the mention of Kibbutz Goliath and freedom from the oppression of the exile, namely the bracha of Tekabah Shofar, which begins, Sound the great Shofar for our freedom and raise the banner to gather our exiles, as well as other crucial events in the unfolding of the final redemption till we get to that 15th bracha of Esemach Tavrav Chameir Satzmiach. And possibly even the building of the Mashiach might occur according to that unfolding even before the bracha of Esemach Tavid, depending on how you interpret the bracha of the Lirashalayim Ircha. Is that the building of the Mikdash, which seems to be the approach of Rashi, or is that the building of the physical city of Jerusalem, which seems to be the approach of the Marshal? This Gemara is one of many sources which indicate that the process of redemption, at least in one of its models, is a gradual one, perhaps spanning many decades or even centuries. Let us focus on the first two events mentioned in the Gemara, namely agricultural development and the gathering of the exiles. Both of these events catapulted into reality from the end of the 19th century and gained additional steam in the subsequent decades. From the agricultural aliyah of both religious and the religious chalutzim, an unfortunate fact that oftentimes is buried in secular Zionist history that there were a lot of religious agricultural alim as well, to the enormous population growth in Israel from 24,000 Jews in 1882 to just under 175,000 in 1931 to over 7 million in our time. Hashem Yahba Aleyhem Kahena V'Kahena. At first glance, one might view these events as not necessarily related to the modern-day state of Israel. After all, there were 600,000 Jews, quite a historical number, just before the state was declared. And Jewish agriculture was booming even then. But a study of history verifies that it was the state and even the pre-state provisional council, which were central aspects of divine providence to greatly expand and foster these two redemptive steps. The economic and legislative backing, which only a friendly government or pre-government agency provided greatly, provided... Um, uh, boosted agricultural development until the present, where the Yishuv in Eretz Yisrael is a formidable exporter of millions of dollars of produce. Even enemy Arab countries are sometimes caught relabeling Israeli imports to their markets to save face. A humorous episode records, available on Wikipedia, how the young state of Israel, when buying the Russian compound in Jerusalem from the former Soviet Union in 1964, and being a little short on cash, paid for it with three and a half million dollars worth of Jaffa oranges. <laughs> a lot of vitamin C. Turning to immigration, Theodor Herzl and his Jewish state, again, a questionable hero in terms of the classic yardstick of uh, Yerushalayim, countering his opponent's arguments who claimed there was no need for Jewish sovereignty to allow for Jewish immigration, 
vehemently insisted that any non-Jewish sovereign would not allow unlimited Jewish immigration. The history of British control of the land of Israel, the successive white papers, severely limiting immigration, including turning refugee ships from the Holocaust back to Europe, proved this prediction correct. The enormous influx of thousands of immigrants from British camps in Cyprus and in DP camps in Europe into the fledgling state in 1948, the continued influx of millions, initially from Sephardic lands and later from the former Soviet Union, primarily as refugees, the financial incentives for Aliyah offered by the Israeli government, and equally crucially, the enormous economic infrastructure sponsored by the State of Israel, further attracting Olin from even economically successful countries, are all functions of an organized, central, sovereign Jewish authority, which has set as one of its primary goals the engathering of the exiles. The above approach, I believe, is the simplest approach taken by many to viewing the State of Israel as an integral part of the Atchalta de Geula, or beginning of the process of redemption. Other approaches, perhaps with more assumptions made, and perhaps more controversial even than the first, rooted in a blend of Talmudic and Kabbalistic sources have been taken. We will humbly present two additional ones in the time remaining. Rambam writes that there are three national mitzvot which the Jewish people were commanded to perform upon entering to the land, in order. The first is the establishment of a Jewish king. The second is the eradication of Amalek. The final one is the building of the Mikdash. My Rebbe Reversal Shechter Shlita is of the opinion and has published an essay presenting his view, certainly I can share it with you, based on Ramban, that redemption is defined as the building of the Mikdash. That's the final step. My Rebbe further proves from sources that the concept of the establishment of a Jewish king ideally would be a religious monarch from the Davidic dynasty. That's the Malach HaMashiach. But a partial fulfillment of this mitzvah is accomplished by the establishment of any Jewish government and hence the ability to proceed to the next two commandments, the eradication of Amalek and the building of the Mikdash, can ensue. No, I am not one of the Temple Mount faithful that maintains that we should nuke the mosque and build the Temple now. We have to await very heavenly divine signs for that. Hence the establishment of a Jewish government, even a very non-ideal one, should be characterized as the Atchalta, or the beginning of the redemption. The climax of the redemption would be the actual building of the Mikdash. My Rebbe's presentation naturally has met considerable consent as well as opposition, including on the internet. The third approach is based on the teachings of Ramchal, Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato, as well as the Gro. Rav Yoav Vilna. The Gemara in several places records a debate between Shmuel and Rabbi Yochanan, among them Sanhedrin, which we're learning in the Yeshiva, and Brochos. Shmuel maintains that Yemosa Mashiach, the Messianic era, will not entail a fundamental change of the natural order. Famously states, Ein ben olam Mashiach The main characteristic distinguishing our time period and that of Messianic days is the servitude to the kingdoms or nations. Namely, the removal of that servitude of other, presumably non-Jewish kingdoms. The prophecies seemingly indicate that the era will be a supernatural one, radically different from ours, refer to Olam Haba, the world to come, and not to the Messianic era, which is part of Olam Azeh, this world. Rabbi Yochanan disagrees and maintains that the Messianic era will indeed entail many drastic, even miraculous changes to the world we know. Based on a variety of Talmudic and Midrashic sources, the Vilna Gaon maintains that both Shmuel's and Rabbi Yochanan's opinions are both correct but refer to different time periods 
within the broad period known as Yemot HaMashiach, or the broad era of the Messianic time period. Ramchal and Vilna Gaon both refer to the first stage, that of Shmuel, the natural one, as that of Pekida, a small divine remembrance. And the second one is that of Zechira, a more major divine remembrance, finalizing the redemption process with the coming of Mashiach ben David. He further notes to Vilna Gaon that the first era is connoted the era of Mashiach ben Yosef, as opposed to the final Mashiach, Mashiach ben David. Now Tosis and Masef the Shabbos ask, how could Shmuel state that the only difference between the exile period and that of Messianic era is that of Shemit Malchus? Clearly there will be other differences, such as the building of Yerushalayim and its epicenter, the long-awaited Beis HaMikdash. Tosis answer that Shmuel's statement is incomplete, only highlighting one major aspect of the Messianic era, certainly there will be others. According to the Gaon of Vilna's approach, Shmuel's statement should be taken more literally. The building of the Mikdash would await the more final stages of the Messianic unfolding. The initial stage would entail only the removal of the subjugation to the nations in a seemingly natural course of events. Many current thinkers who subscribe to the Messianic perspective toward the state of Israel see within its establishment the fulfillment of the divine promise of the removal of subjugations to foreign nations in accordance with Shmuel's statement. With the Jewish peoples themselves being sovereign over their land, no longer subject to the whims and horrible physical and spiritual decrees of foreign overlords. Many see within the establishment of the state with permission of the nations of the world, starting from the Balfour Declaration, followed by the San Remo Conference in 1920 by the League of Nations, and unfortunately in a more limited geographical way, confirmed by the Partition Plan, the vote of the United Nations in November 1947, as a fulfillment of the gross assertion that the final Gula will mirror the second one, the return from Babel, whose first stage was also with the permission of the ruling empire, namely the famous proclamation of Koresh, Cyrus the Great. To be sure, even if one would accept this premise, and even if boldly, based on this teaching, one would characterize the era not only as Aschal the Gula, but as the first stage of the epic referred to as Yemos Mashiach, broadly, the Zechira, or final stages, including total spiritual revival, Claudius will return to Torah, the coming of Mashiach ben David, and the building of the Mikdash, clearly are aspects of the Messianic drama which we are sorely lacking and long for daily. As mentioned, this first stage is called the era of Mashiach ben Yosef. I heard from my great Rebbe Rav Shechter in the name of the Gon that he attached the verse about Yosef and his brothers to this confusing era. When the brothers came down to Egypt to purchase food, the Torah tells us, and Yosef recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. This being true, even though he was right in front of their eyes. So too, says Rabbi Elio, in the era of Mashiach ben Yosef, many even righteous people will not recognize the momentous import of that era unfolding before their very eyes. Rabbi Ram Yitzchak Cook, following this approach, maintains that Mashiach ben Yosef's primary task is to provide for the repair of the goof or the physical needs of Klal Yisrael, so much broken during the long exile, much as his progenitor Joseph provided food and later lodging for his brethren. Mashiach ben David's assignment is to rebuild the neshama, or spiritual dimension, also greatly affected by the long and bitter exile. Even though he did not live to see the state of Israel, Rav Kok saw within the physical rebuilding of the land aspects of this first Messiah's task. His students view the state as magnifying and continuing this divinely machinated goal. Famously used the analogy of how the Beis HaMikdash was built in order to avoid me'ila, or misappropriation of temple property. Bonin Bachol tells the Gemara, Vachakach Mekachin. They build with unsanctified materials, and then they sanctify them. 
Many see this duality unfolding in these past and our generation. Baruch Hashem, we have merited to see a lot of the stage, even of including our dear Yeshiva, which is a direct result of the state of Israel's continued existence. The multitude of the often diametrically opposed views and attitudes toward the state, I believe, can be compared to the famous optical illusion of a woman, which when viewed from one perspective is that of an elderly, wrinkled old hag. Yet from another, it presents a young, beautiful one. The master of history, the one that in our daily prayers, prayers we refer to as the Gaul Yisrael, the one who redeemed Israel, but also as the Gaul Yisrael, who is constantly setting the stage for the future redemption, has presented to us quite a perplexing conundrum. Certainly there are many negative aspects to the state of Israel. Certainly there are beautiful ones as well. And as we have attempted to present, perhaps even messianic ones. Which image is the dominant one? That is for the Chachmei Torah to decide. And my humble opinion, Eilu ve'elu, Div'elu Kim Chaim. Yeratzon Shenitzke Legula Shleima Bekov. May Hashem spread His Malchus to the entire world. And as the Rambam, quoting the Pesukim in Tanakh, tell us, looking forward to the world where Umala Aretz Deyas Hashem Kamayim Liyam Echasim, where the knowledge of God will fill the whole world as the waters of the sea fill the seabed. Now you have uh, watermelon and cheese uh, behind you. Uh, indeed, we will uh, have to uh, access Elo Velo Develo Kim Chaim after my uh, presentation. Uh, thank you for the, uh, for the beautiful world. Uh, let's start out with a story about Uncle Henry. Once Uncle Henry's family decided to throw him a birthday party. The tables were set, the music was piped in, guests had come, and Uncle Henry's favorite nephew was asked to say a few words. And this is what he had to say. I know everyone here thinks that Uncle Henry is a great guy, but he has some good points. But you should know that Uncle Henry is a jerk. He's been mistreating Aunt Mabel for decades. He cheats in business and is addicted to really bad stuff on the Internet. So let's forget about Uncle Henry and just dig into the delicious barbecue. That's what it kind of feels like for me. Get up on the birthday of Medina Israel and tell you a little bit about what I think. And thank you, Ronnie, for the delicious barbecue. So I would like to put some things into context. As Rekonski mentioned yesterday, uh, we have to look beneath the surface. Everyone agrees that we have to look beneath the surface. There is what's apparent, and there's the subtext, which is hidden well out of sight. To get to the deeper meaning of things, one needs a certain bina, to understand davar mitoch davar. Each side claims, each side in the debate that we are in, kind of engaging right now, that the other side, they're the guys who are satisfied with the superficial. Well, we can see more deeply. The pro side, we just heard a little bit from a behavior, emphasizes the fact that the state is the product the fact, the fact, the, fact, the fact that the state is the product of the Zionist movement, 
which is fueled by secular concepts, that's just the surface reality. What is really going on is the historic restoration of the Jewish people to its land and the fact that this is indeed Aschalta de Geula. The other side says no, that the fact that the Jewish people is returning to its homeland is just the surface reality. What's really going on is that a group of Jews whose ideology contradicts the very soul of Torah has hijacked the Jewish people, leading to the greatest heretical movement in our history. Two same things seem to be happening simultaneously. Two axes. On one axis, the Jewish people has taken a tremendous leap forward. We've made it. We have whatever a nation needs. We have an army. We have an economy. We have Torah. And if you are religious, then you say it this way. We miraculously have an army. We miraculously have an economy. We miraculously have Torah. On the other hand, over the last 100, 150 years, 100 years, the Jewish people has taken a tremendous leap backwards. We are much further away as a nation, as, a, as individual Jews, from living the Torah ideal of Mamleches Kohanim V'Goy Kadosh. And the state, the living embodiment of the Zionist idea, has ripped hundreds and thousands of thousands of pure and holy Yidden from their Father in Heaven. And as Chazal say, Gadol HaMachtiyo Yoser Meahorgo. Someone who causes somebody to sin is much greater guilt than someone who actually kills him. Someone who causes someone to sin takes him away not only from a meaningful life in Olam HaZabri, but he takes him away from Olam HaBa. Millions of children are taught to ridicule religion and despise its inherence. So the question remains, which is the surface reality and which reflects the true nature of things, of what's really going on? Are we living as Chalta de Gula or, as the Chazanish said, what we're living is Sofa Golos? So let me put it on the table. I am a Haredi Jew, but I wasn't always. I was a Madrichim Ben Akiva and spent several very enjoyable summers at Camp Mosheva in Wisconsin. So, what happened to me? Uh, never. <laughs> <laughs> the great Rabbi Yerucham of Mir, Rabbi Yerucham Levovitz, the Mashgiach of the Mir Yeshiva in pre-World War II Mir, was once asked by a prominent religious Zionist rabbi who was traveling the length and breadth of Jewish Poland and Lithuania, promoting the Zionist movement. And he asked Rabbi Yerucham, why do you teach your students to oppose Zionism? Nobody comes, no, 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 your students come to, uh, to uh, attend my drushas. And Rabbi Yerucham's answer was, no, we teach them only Torah. Once they learn Torah, they know what the MS is. And the male, they're not interested in Zionism. So I came to the Mir Yeshiva, the same Yeshiva, in 1972, and gradually found myself moving in the direction of Haredi thought. Is it because I learned Torah? Or because of the environment I was in? We'll never know. But that's what happened. But what may sound condescending and even offensive in Rabbi Rucham's claim that deep knowledge of Torah will lead to the rejection of Zionism finds its counterweight on the other side of the fence. The followers are of Cook, 
are so sure that their Rav got it right, that they looked down at the Gedoria door, who at the time overwhelmingly rejected of Cook's philosophy. And they look at them as being unenlightened fossils, trying to carry the old Gullus Torah into the, of the diaspora into the brave new world of Aschalta de Gula. Yes, of Cook's philosophy was rejected. The Chafetz Chaim, without whom we don't dare make a halachic move. And Rav Chaim Salavechik of Risk, without whom we don't dare say a Lomdish Hated, despised the Zionist idea. Rav Chaim is quoted to have said, Rav Chaim Brisker is quoted to have said, people think that the goal of the Zionist movement is to rebuild Israel. And that their attempts to secularize and normalize the Jewish people is just a means to the end. This way of thinking says the Zionists think that the old Jew of the ghetto and the shtetl just won't be capable of those efforts so necessary for the making of a state. And in the words of one of their most important leaders, must be consigned to the dustbin of history. We must create a new Jew, the muscular, blonde, blue-eyed Sabra, with one hand on the plow and the other on the gun, will build a brave new world on the ashes of the old. But, said Rav Chaim, people have things backwards. The real goal of the Zionist movement is to normalize the Jewish people to be just like everyone else. In the words of the Navi Yecheskel, Kechol HaGoyim Beis Yisrael, to make religion irrelevant to the definition of the Jewish people. Their real mission, and here we must emphasize that we are speaking only of the leaders and opinion makers, and not of the followers, is to carry on the attempts of our earliest enemies, which is to make sure that the kingdom of Hashem will never be established in our world. The state is but a means to the end. I think events of the last few months indicate that there's a great deal of truth to Rav Chaim's predictions and his understanding. Now that the power elite of the Zionist movement sense their impending downfall due to the new demographics of believing Jews outnumbering secularized Jews, they don't hesitate to demolish the state brick by brick. And if you haven't been following the news sufficiently to understand what I just said, Baruch Hashem. And what about the Chafetz Chaim? We read in the works of his foremost disciple, Rebel Chanan Wasserman, who was one of the most prominent Rosh Yeshivas in pre-World War II, Poland, whose the fundamental work of Talmudic Lomdis, Kovit Shiurim, serves as a foundational safer for anybody who's delving deeply into the depths of Torah. He writes many essays about the subject. He reminds us that Zionism is an outgrowth of the nationalistic movement of the mid-19th century. It created a new definition of the Jewish people. You don't have to live the covenant in order to be a good Jew. You can eat bacon on your kipper, and you can still be a good national Jew. Just read and speak Hebrew, support the settlement of the land, and you're the best kind of Jew possible. Out of many possible quotes from Rabbi Chodan's writings, I will end the section, this section with the following quote. People are fond of saying now, he writes, Reb Khan was writing in the 1920s, I imagine, 1930s perhaps, people are, are fond of saying now, a Jewish homeland is being built in Eretz Israel. If this were really true, there could certainly be no greater simcha for the Jewish people. But it is well known that more than half of the children there, speaking at the time, 
twenties or thirties, are educated in the schools of the Hellenists. That is, they are trained from childhood to be mumarim. Translation, my translation, habitual violators of Torah, or even worse, mumarim lahachis. So, what is there to be happy about? Will this build Jews or destroy them? The matter is clear that such a structure will never last because Hashem will not falsify His Torah. Now, it's last year, I may have hesitated to share this last line because it goes against my thesis because it seemed that the state of Israel was a pretty permanent fixture. This year, the prophecy is closer than ever to becoming true. Let's move on to a quote from the Vilna Gaon. Of course, as Rabbi Haber mentioned, on the one hand, the Gaon was the prototype Zionist. He understood that the cusp of history was changing. In the late 18th century, he sent many of his most devoted Talmudian to Israel to settle what was at the time an impoverished, desolate land. He was convinced that this would be the beginning of the redemption. I'm not saying he was wrong. But he also writes, quoted in Evan Shleim, a compilation of his writings, the Torah writes in Parshas Vayishlach, Vayosem es ha-shvochos ves yaldehem rishonam, v'yazleo v'yladeho achronim v'ezrochel ves Yosef achronim. When Yosef, when, when Yaakov Avinu was going to confront his brother Esau, so he arranges his family. In the front of the family, he puts the maidservants, Bila, Zilpa, with their children. Then, after that, he puts Leah with her children. And then, at the very back, he puts Rachel and Yosef at the end. The Gra, quoting the Tikkun Ezorah, says, This Pasuk is the Masih of a similar body of the period of Ikvas of the Mashiach, the period leading up to the times of the Mashiach. The Shvachot, the maidservants, and their children represent the Erev Rav Shehem Rashi Ha'am. These are the people who are at the forefront, the people who take the leadership positions. The Erev Rav, who are the heads of the nation. Leah and her children are the Ami Ha'aretz. Sh'atovim she'bahem k'fufim le'erev Rav. They're the Ami Ha'aretz who are subservient. They listen to, they follow this leadership of the Erev Rav. Rochel and Yosef at the very end, Heim ha'talmide chachomim. These are the talmide chachomim. Who at the time of the Ikvus of Meshicha, she'heim shvelim, Mikulam, who are the lowest level and the lowest rungs, v'nivzim, despised. Kimoshi Amur, as the Mishnah says in, in Masechet Sota, at the end of Masechet Sota, yirechet yimasu v'chachmah sofrim tisrach. Before the ikvas of the Meshichah, the, those who fear sin will be despised. And the wisdom of the sofrim, the wisdom of the scribes, will be considered to be something spoiled and rotten. <coughs> My Rebbe, Rebbe Rosh Shapiro explained that we're not necessarily talking about biological descendants of the Erev Rav. Because, he mentioned at the time, there were two very well-known brothers. One, a very famous tzaddik, who lives in Eretz Israel, and the other, a most vicious anti-religious journalist. So Rebbe Moshe says, well, clearly if Erev Rav is 
just biological, that these are two brothers. We're talking about some spiritual genealogy. Today's Rashi Am are the spiritual heirs of that foreign mass which Moshe Rabbeinu so tragically allowed to join the Jewish people. And, as anybody who sees and looks around, and sees that the Talmidei Chachamim, the people who are dedicated to the study of Torah, to the propagation of Torah, to continuing the spiritual march of the Jewish people, are the most maligned members of Klai Yisrael. That's what it's like to be living Be'ikvaseh the Mashiach. At the beginning of my talk, I asked the following questions, which is the surface reality and which reflects the true nature of things. Are we living at Chalta de Gula or Sofa Golos? Is our ship of state moving in the right direction or have we been hijacked by pirates and bandits who have turned everything around in the wrong direction? Today's Yom Atzma'ut, is it a day to celebrate the great leap forward or to mourn the fact that on this day, the 5th of Iyar, the bad guys won a major battle in the eternal struggle for the soul of the Jewish people. I will really end with a quote from a Pasuk in this week's parsha. At the end of Parsha's Achremos, we read, after the Torah gives us the, all of the, the abominations and the sins, the sexual immorality, the mitzvahs that we are supposed to keep, says the Torah, says Hashem, do not become tame, defiled with all of these practices. Because with these practices and abominable sins were defiled the goyim who I am driving out from before you. The land became Tameh. And I will remember its sin. And the land will vomit out its dwellers. Says Rashi. This is a marshal for the a son of a king, somebody who has a very delicate stomach, somebody who's been raised on just the finest foods. They fed him something which was spoiled. If it doesn't stay in his stomach, he spits, he vomits it out. Eretz Yisrael does not able to withstand, to hold people who are transgressors. Rashi says, to empty itself out, to vomit it out. So, in the spirit of looking forward optimistically, Chazal Sel tell us, we're not looking for the destruction of the sinners. What we are looking for is the end of the sin. That the sin should come to an end. And it may be that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will bring us all, every one of us, right? those of us who are Zoha to learn Torah, those of us who are Zoha to keep mitzvahs, and those who have not yet been Zoha to learn Torah and keep mitzvahs, to turn, we come back closer and closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and will be Zoha to the Gula Shleil of the Meher. Rabbi Karlinski asked me to lighten things up by doing some uh, a demonstration of glass blowing. So I'm going to bring my kit, and uh, we'll be able to to have uh, the end of the program be a little more uh, experiential.
the Chazal say Elu ve'Elu Divrei Elokim Chaim, and they don't say Elu ve'Elu ve'Elu Divrei Elokim Chaim. So I I am going to uh, read what I found on my desk this morning, uh, which uh, calculates based on uh, based on something I found that it should be ten minutes. Uh, it'll be relatively personal. Uh, and uh, I will describe what I personally celebrate on this day. Today, the 5th of ER, 5783, I want to share four things I celebrate on this day. Four things which I express special appreciation to God for. And four things that were a direct result of the Declaration of the State of Israel on Arab Shabbos, the 5th of ER 5708. I would like to end by quoting Israel's chief rabbi, the first chief rabbi, Hagon Rav Yitzhak Herzog Zatzal. This quote affected me and sparked thinking in a new direction. I share my thoughts and emotions, describe what touches me and causes me to celebrate, to specially thank God today. This is not a halachic discussion about the topics that come up surrounding Yom Ma'ut, making a holiday, commemorating miracles, saying halal with or without a blessing. And it is also not polemics, arguing against other approaches to the day or not. This is not the form, I'm not the person. The four things that I celebrate that I believe, uh, from my understanding, were a direct uh, result of, of the declaration of the state on, on, uh, on the 5th of ER. Number one is saving Jews from harm. There's a three-year gap between the end of the Holocaust and the founding of the State of Israel. They're looking at Israel, wait a second. There was the Holocaust, then there was the State of Israel. There was the Holocaust. The war ended in 1945. The State of Israel is 1948. What happened in those three years? Holocaust survivors were in displaced persons camps in Europe. Crowded, difficult conditions, nowhere to go after the Holocaust. It's even an international uh, vada um, committee that was, that was trying to figure out what to do with them. The United States government told England, take 100,000 every year. England said, they just don't want them in New York. By 1947, their population was estimated at 250,000 Jews. Many wanted to go to what was then called British Mandatory Palestine. And I'm quoting from one of the sources of a, a few, anybody wants my, where I got this from, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send you the file. The gates of Palestine remained closed for the duration of the war. Stranding, now the, the British had a, a very, very severe quotas. Stranding hundreds of thousands of Jews in Europe many of which became victors, victims of Hitler's final solution. After the war, the British refused to allow, after the war, the British refused to allow the survivors of the Nazi nightmare to find sanctuary in Palestine. On June 6, 1946, President Truman urged the British government to relieve the suffering of the Jews confined to displaced persons camps in Europe by immediately accepting 100,000 Jewish immigrants. Brit- Britain's forest minister, Ernest Bevan, 
replied sarcastically that the United States wanted displaced Jews to immigrate to Palestine because they didn't want too many of them in New York. Some Jews were able to reach Palestine, many by way of dilapidated ships that members of the Jewish resistance organization smuggled in. Between August 1945 and the establishment of the State of Israel in May 1948, 65 illegal immigrant ships carrying 69,878 people arrived from European shores. In August 1946, however, the British began to intern those that they caught in camps in, Cy- in Cyprus, including my father-in-law, Lev Shalom. Approximately 50,000 people were detained in the camps, 28,000 of whom were still in prison when Israel declined, declared independence. Jews were similarly the victims of Arab anti-Semitism. While Arab anti-Semitism, and I quote, has increased in the wake, in the wake of the Arab-Israeli conflict, there were pogroms against Jews prior to the establishment of the State of Israel in May 1948, including Nazi-inspired pogroms in Algeria in the 1930s, and attacks on the Jews of Iraq and Libya in the 1940s. In 1941, 180 Jews were murdered and 700 were injured in the anti-Jewish riots known as the Farhud. 400 Jews were injured in violent demonstrations in Europe, in, in Egypt in 1945, and Jewish property was vandalized and looted. In Libya, 130 Jews were killed and 266 injured. In December 1947, 13 Jews were killed in Damascus, including eight children and 26 were injured in. In Aleppo, rioting resulted in dozens of Jewish casualties, damage to 150 Jewish homes, the torching of five schools and ten synagogues. In Yemen, 97 Jews were murdered and 120 injured. On the 5th of ER, 5708, the gates of Israel were opened to those Jews. Second thing that happened on the 5th of ER... The ingathering of the exiles. Declaration of the State of Israel declares, states, the State of Israel will be open to the immigration of Jews from all countries of their dispersion. Immigration to the, state, the land of Israel had begun with holy early aliyot. Great Sadiqim came to the north of Israel in the 1500s. In the late 1700s, disciples of the Gra and the Baal Shem Tov Jews came from Sparta countries. The 1800s and early 1900s brought the aliyot of Chibatzion and the waves of Zionist immigration. In 1948, on the eve of the establishment of the State of Israel, the world Jewish population was 100.5 million, of whom 650,000, which was about 6%, lived in Israel. On the eve of the Jewish New Year, 5782, which was last year, the number of Jews worldwide stands at, a probably, at approximately 15.2 million compared to 15.1 million in 57.81, according to the newly released statistics by the Jewish Agency, etc. Among the global Jewish population, the number of Jews in Israel is close to 6.9 million, while about 8.3 million live outside, the, outside Israel. That means that the percentage of Jews living in Israel out of all the Jews in the world now stands at 45.3% as opposed to about 6% in 1948. Aliyah since 1948 has taken off. In 1948, 101,828 Jews made Aliyah. 239,954 in 1949. 170,563 in 1950. 175,279 
1951, you get the you get the picture. According to my calculation, I sat down with my uh, spreadsheet, figured out how to make an average, and uh, the average amount of aliyah per year was 45,179 since 1948. Special mention should be made of 1990 and 1991 when 199,516 was the year I made Aliyah, and 176,100 respectively, mainly from the former Soviet Union. Jews came to, the, to their homeland from all corners of the globe. From Russia and the Ukraine, a million seven hundred forty thousand. I won't read all the statistics, uh, even though they're very interesting. Uh, you can get a chart from me if you're interested. Uh, Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia, 364,745. From Romania, 276,000, etc. From Poland, from Iraq, from the United States, Ethiopia, France, Iran, Argentina, Turkey, Yemen, Bulgaria, Egypt, and Sudan, Libya, United Kingdom, Hungary, India, and other places. That's the top of the list. Slovakia, South Africa, Germany, Brazil, Canada, Georgia, Yugoslavia, Syria. On the fifth year, the gates were open to people who were danger of their lives. And on the fifth year, the gates were open for the ingathering of the exile. There were two other things that happened on that day that are related. Jewish independence and the establishment of a state. They're two independent things. They're two, two distinct things. Independence has value in and of itself. Not being beshubad to Mitzrayim. Not being merely a citizen of some non-Jewish government is independently important. Independence is independently important. Being not only a spiritual Ben-Horin, but also being politically a Ben-Horin is something to thank God for. A Jewish government is also something to thank God for. Uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Haber uh, uh, related to Rabbi Yehuda's distinction between the, the Medina and the Memshalah, the state and the government. Uh, the anecdote told by Rabbi Yaakov Ariel is as follows. Rabbi Yaakov Ariel was the Baltvila in, in the yeshiva in Merkaz Arab, I believe, in, on, on, uh, on Yom Atzmaut. And that year... Yom Atzmut turned out on Bahab. Now, Bahab are fast days that are done after Pesach, the Monday, Thursday, and following Monday. And it turned out that it was on a Bahab. Yom Atzmaut came out on a Bahab. So, so Rav Tzvi Yehuda told them to, after they had said Hallel, that they should say Slichus. So, afterwards, he discussed this with Rav Zevin. And Rabbi Levin said, Halal on the Medina, Slichas on the Memshalah. <laughs> and uh, the state is like a bus. It will pick up any Jew who wants to get on. And the passengers can determine which direction the bus is going to go and what route it will take and how fast it will get. The, the government is a framework and that framework is created and that framework can be changed from within. As I believe uh, 
uh, Hershwa was 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 hinting at. Um, the Rambam is often quoted as as a as uh, as one who says that there's value merely to a Jewish government uh, when he talks about Hanukkah. Uh, so so the Rambam talks about the Chashmonaim that they that they appointed a king from the uh, from the Chashmonaim. And they returned kingdom, kingship, a kingdom to Israel more than 200 years until the second destruction. Who were those kings? Who were those Hasmonean kings at the end of the period? They were not uh, pious. And uh, they brought in the Romans. They, they almost brought about that destruction. But there was... There was value in, in Jewish government. I want to quote Rav, Rav Herzog, and I want to add one more point. Rav Herzog is actually writing an article about uh, the tragedy of the position of Torah in, in the state of Israel. But he writes like this. I was one of those excited about the idea of the state of Israel. I had decided that the state of Israel was a vital necessity. This was not only from the perspective of saving the lives of hundreds of thousands of our brethren, survivors of the inferno of Europe, and bringing relief and salvation to our brothers in Islamic lands like Yemen and Iraq where religious fanaticism dominates. It was not only from the national historic aspiration to break the yoke of exile. It was also not only to remove the danger of Israel's destruction, God forbid, constantly threatening. It was not only to prepare a refuge for times of trouble. It was also not only because the Jewish soul longs for the freedom of Israel, true freedom, internal and external at once. In in my heart, I knew with certainty that this is what Judaism itself, in its innermost place, Judaism in the deepest sense, its spirit and soul needs very, very much. It was clear to me as the midday sun that the horrific Holocaust that destroyed most of our nation's infrastructure, most of its geonim, rabbis, saints, sages and writers, poets and communal activists powerfully shook the foundations of belief buried deeply in the heart of the masses of Jews all over the world. I feared that if the dawn that had begun to rise in the land of our forefathers and prophets would disappear and hide, God forbid, for a long time, the results would be very bitter to the point of endangering the very existence of Judaism, at least in the exile. So what happened on the 5th of Iyar not only was saving Jews, but saving Judaism. We've been speaking about what happened on the 5th of Iyar itself. The gates opened to save Jews, for Jews to return to their homeland. An independent Jewish state was founded that has also enabled many, many positive things, including what we celebrate here every single day. The fact that Israel has become the Torah center of the world and a magnet for Mavakshi Hashem, Lomde and Lomdot Torah, people wanting to live a life of Avodas Hashem in the classic sense, in the Jewish homeland, Eretz HaKodesh, Eretz Yisrael. We've been focusing on Modi Manach Nulach, but we end with a prayer for Hashivenu Avinu Lesorasecha, for Tekabeshof Argadol Lecheruseinu, Hashiva Shoftenu Kavarishona, Lirushalayim Urcha Barachamim Tashuv, and of course, as Semach David Avdecha Bimheras Atzmiach, we pray for national tshuva, 
We pray for the unity of all Jews in the land of Israel. We pray for a society run according to the Torah's legal system. We pray for a return to the Divine Presence to Jerusalem and Zion. And we pray for the coming of Mashiach ben David and a complete redemption. Happy Yom HaTzmah.